don't like me, my little go-go bird. Perhaps you will like my friend Urso. Somewhere in space, this may all be happening right now. It's coming to your galaxy this summer. Welcome to episode four of the uh, pilot series for the Wookiee Genome Project, the podcast about everything Star Wars that isn't Star Wars. I'm Diamond Rob Russo, the state comptroller of North Dakota, and I just watched 20 minutes of vintage sci-fi garbage. With me here to discuss it are Patrick Bontrisco and Eric Strathers. On this show, we explore the pop culture DNA of the Star Wars films, that is to say, the old adventure serials, cowboy films, comic books, and pop and pulp fiction that shaped the saga we know and love. Uh, for this uh, pilot series, we're doing Flash Gordon, the 1936 Universal serial, starring Larry Buster Crab, among others. And I believe we are up to episode four, which is called Battling the Sea Beast. And here's the recap card, the awkwardly worded recap card. Leaving Dale with Thun, who is guarding King Kayla in the throne room, Princess Aura releases Flash from the tank and then attempts to deceive Flash into believing Thun and Dale have escaped and preceded them to Ming's palace. But when the vengeful Aura deliberately destroyed the control board, which by magnetic attraction kept Kayla's palace safe underwater, controlling the air supply and water pressure... It does more than... Okay. Flash, suspicious, rushes to the throne room to satisfy himself of the safety of Dale and Thun. So I don't think we mentioned this in episode, in episode four of our... Sh- or episode three of our show, but yeah. So Princess Aura and, and Prince Thun show up and they uh, set about to rescue Flash and, 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 and Thun, of course, wants to rescue Flash and Dale. Princess Aura wants uh, Dale to die a horrible death so that she and, and Flash can go off and get married. Um. And that's, that's kind of it. So that she has some great, you know, again, I love Princess Aura. And I, I want to say, like, there's room in Star Wars for a character like this, like a lovable, uh, like, bastard kind of character who just does, you know, like, has an agenda and is clearly just, you know, helping the heroes, but at every possible turn trying to trying to force her agenda on, on, on thing. Or, you know, I love that about Princess Aura. I've big... You know, even though her eyebrows are kind of weird, kind of, kind of a, like a retro crush on Princess Aura. I don't know how to explain it. <laughs> I just, eyebrows are weird, but I, I, you know, I would, uh, I would overlook that and they're not that weird. Um, so yeah, so Flash struggles against a giant pile of rubber tentacles, I guess, um, uh, which is supposed to be the Octosack, the most awkwardly, weirdly named octopus in the world, which isn't bigger than a normal octopus. It's just an octopus. You guys, any either you guys see uh, that uh, Tim Burton movie Ed Wood with Johnny Depp and uh, yeah, it's been you, a while. do you remember where they have that scene of like some character supposed to be thrashing around fighting an octopus and they just show you them filming the scene of him fighting a rubber octopus and he has to pretend like he's you know it's it's like a real fight and then they intercut it with stock footage of an octopus just moving around and that is that is basically this exactly um, go see Ed Wood it's great listeners it's a it's a good it's a good uh, way of looking at uh, these old serials when you, when you get an idea of like, that's, that was a different era, but it's basically the same production values and, and stuff like that involved. Uh, so Aura and Thun arrive, Aura, uh, open supposedly a, the, the supposedly super heavy multi-valve door, which, which as we, I think we already made a joke about this, but just kind of like dangles to the side effortlessly, you know? Um, then she lies to flash and, uh, we get a quick scene of Zarkov phoning home. Uh, he's trying to phone earth. It doesn't really amount to anything. Ming's coming. 
so look busy. It's I think my favorite scene of the, of this episode is where like, he's like, Oh my God, Ming's coming downstairs. Look busy. It's like the boss is coming. Um, and, uh, then flash fights, uh, more shark men. Um, one of these shark men, by the way, I think he's supposed to be the captain of the guard is the original Mr. Clean. Yeah, the very first person cast in the role for a commercial of Mr. Clean is one of these shark men and is kind of one of those sad Hollywood stories where he was a guy who probably was like, could have been in like, you know, Tarzan movies and stuff like that, um, made a name for himself, but he never quite, quite did it. Like his most famous role is Mr. Clean. Um, it's interesting because he's, he's wearing the skull cap in this one too. So he's bald, famous for being bald. Uh, Aura destroys uh, the life support. And then there's that, uh, we talked about it in an earlier episode, the silhouette choke out where Flash chokes the life out of a shark man, but you see it in silhouette only, which is a oddly artistic way of, of, uh, of doing it. But it's welcome because too much of these old serials, is just like Flash wrestling with dudes. Like, you know, you're getting like a lot of, it's not even like Foley work for like the fights where like, I think uh, there's not a lot of sound effects added in later, by the way. That's what I mean by Foley. You guys are familiar with that term? Yes. It's like an industry term. Yeah. You, I figure you guys are sound people. You know, that. so fully work for our listeners. is just like the, like the snobby Hollywood way of referring to additional sound effects added in later. Um, this is a huge deal in star Wars. Like Ben Burt, of course, like makes a lot of, does a lot of world building just through sound this way. Um, but yeah, you know, like the lightsaber sound effects, it's a big part of the fights. And here we just like, it's just, you hear people scuffling around on a stage in all the fights and it's, it's just not, not that exciting to be honest. Like the fights would be more interesting if they could, you know, nowadays you'd have close ups and stuff to kind of like fool the audience into thinking something really exciting is happening. But a lot of times they're not. And I kind of liked just seeing the silhouette and then, you know, because uh, aura destroys the controls for some reason, this makes the Sharkman city rise from the ocean floor. Um, despite the fact that it's simultaneously filling with water. <laughs> so they need magnets to keep it down. But when you turn off the magnets, the whole thing can be filled with water, but it'll still rise to the top. The, I, you know, I'm no scientist, but uh, <laughs> just saying that's a little bit weird. Um, like one of the things that happens is Kayla, you know, he says that nobody has challenged him or he's, you know, Flash had gained his respect in the previous episode, uh, you know, because nobody had ever bested him. But then later he says, he says the uh, um, nobody challenges me in a battle of strengths and lives. And which is a, very much of a you can't win. You can't win Darth, but backwards, you know. Mm. And, and so you take that into this in from the beginning of this episode you've got lots of little star wars isms in this in as far as i see it and I'll, I'll just kind of blast through some of them um except for one that's absolutely not star warsy at all is there was a yet another girl added to the action in this um who was she she's just one of the shark people right yeah that's what I, I, you I, can't I call her a shark man really right. Um, I, my only note for her is that the very uncreative costume. Yeah. And and that's what I, my note here said there were way more ladies in this universe than there were in, in Luke Skywalker's. But, uh, Dale wakes up, you know, after she had been, she passed out and she is, she's like, Oh, flash wondering if he's okay. And it, it, you kind of had the, the idea that she sensed that he was in trouble as opposed to just remembering, Oh, wait a minute before I conked out, there was something going on. It was almost it had the appearance of premonition or not premonition. I guess it was, we happen at the same time of just sensing it. Um, there, there's a lot of like random quasi technological equipment, you know, that's appears to perform no actual function, but looks neat, makes a lot of noise that, and then all of this stuff has unlabeled controls, you know, something you've heard people talk about with the millennium Falcon, for example, nothing right. has a sign on it to tell you what it does. <laughs> just luckily everybody can remember what every one of these buttons and switches happen to do. Okay. Yeah. I think what happens next in, in this, uh, in, the, in chapter four of flash is that, uh, uh, Zarkov announces that he's, uh, he tells Ming that he's discovered a new ray. I think those are his exact words. And I think that kind of answers my question about what kind of scientist. Uh, Zarkov is it's like he's like the he's a ray scientist like he specializes in rays and there's all kinds of rays in this show that we've got uh I think there's just the all-purpose death ray there's the uh as we'll see later the Hawkmen have a melting ray there's gravity rays and uh there's the ray uh the dehumanizer ray uh I mean it just goes on and on and this is interesting because it's kind of a trope that I feel like sci-fi is left behind for for good reason you know, like in, in like, by the time you get to Star Trek, they have 
phasers set for stun, you know? So there's like, there's the lethal one and then there's the one that will just knock you out. And that carries over to star Wars. Uh, it's just, that's pretty much the two settings. There's lethal. And, and the one time you see somebody get stunned, do you ever see anybody get stunned again? No, it's that one time. It's got that, that crazy ripple effect mm-hmm. and you never, ever see it again. They did bring it back in rebels, the cartoon, because in up through, I guess all the way till the end of the second season, Ezra would only stun the enemies. He would never actually kill somebody. Right. Mm. Yeah. I was thinking movie wise, but yeah, I think you're right. But yeah. In the movies. No, not that I can think of. You, you think they'd use it all the time. Like, especially the good guys. Like, for example, like as we were talking about earlier with, with Captain Phasma, like you, once you got her to do what you want, like you don't have to kill her. Like you could just knock her out. Mm hmm. Um, but then again, like maybe only stormtrooper blasters have that setting. Cause, uh, you know, for the most part, like Han never uses it. Maybe his blaster doesn't have that setting and Luke uses the same kind of blaster. And, uh, I don't know, maybe there's one guy in every like stormtrooper squadron that has the stun gun, <laughs> but they do say set for stun. So that means, yeah. uh, which it's got, it's gotta be, that's gotta be something that comes straight from star Trek. And there aren't very many star Trek references in star Wars. Um, but yeah, I think the new Ray, just spoiler alert, I think the new Ray that he's talking about, it comes into play like much later in the show. And I think what he's talking about is an invisible invisibility Ray. So he has a way of turning people invisible. And so there's that. So just when you think that this serial couldn't get any cheaper, they just have characters disappear. <laughs> <laughs> now, is this, uh, the, is this the Ray that he says, um, being from a higher frequency, it's more flexible? built up from the negative I, side rather than the positive. I, I, I don't know. Maybe, I mean, they do, they say a lot of stuff in the show that not necessarily in this, you know, these films that don't necessarily come back into play later that you think they might, but I'm never quite sure if they do or not. That's, that's one of them. Um, but really with episode four, I think like, I think we said that we covered it, right? Like I think we got through pretty much everything of note, so the city, we leave it with the city is Ming sees that the city is crumbling and, or is, is flooding. And so he, he uses some like long range demagnetizer ray or something that, that releases the magnetic hold that keeps the city underwater. And that's why it, and it floats up even though it's filling with water, which we, I think we touched on. Right. Um, and that's kind of, that's kind of it. So should we just skip ahead to episode five or chapter five? Sure. Sure. Okay, so this one is called The Destroying Ray, uh, and it might be my, f- it's not my favorite. I think five and six are 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 my close contenders for, for favorite. I've watched the serial, just like full disclosure, I've watched Flash Gordon 1936 uh, all the way through uh, once or twice, but I always seem to fall asleep after a while. <laughs> um, so like around chapter seven or eight, it starts getting fuzzy. <laughs> I kind of know what happens, but I'm never quite all the way there. I've woken up a few times and, and it's like the very end. Um, so yeah, so really quick, sorry, I should have done basically all that happens in this is that, uh, in chapter five, they're still escaping and they, I mean, does anyone kind of who's watched it the most recently? Can you, is it Pat? Did, have, did yeah. you, what's the first thing that happens in this chapter? I forget. Um, I think that's where they use the ray to bring the city up. Um, and you get lots of cuts of the water flowing in through the walls. Um, they, uh, they get outside and they separate and you have kind of the, I forget what they're called, but the bird men flying around. The hawk right. man. And, and they, they flash says, you know, you guys go, I'll, I'll take care of these guys. And there's, it's like him versus four. But for whatever reason, the four of them don't fight them all at once. Just, just it's one on one, and the other three just kind of watch. The reason is, yeah, cinema. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, uh, and that's when uh, when Dale is captured. Yeah, Dale and Thun get captured. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is interesting because okay, so yeah, they get out, they get out of the city, and I remember they're like. Somebody mentions like, well, what will happen to Kayla and his shark, shark people and flash says something like, it's too late to worry about that now. Yes. Yeah. I forgot yeah. about that. Exactly. Like, <laughs> it's like, really? Is it like, <laughs> they're still there. Like, what if somebody's like stuck or you've got nowhere to go? Really? Like you've got nothing to do. 
except you know like you go especially when the hawkmen show up it's like maybe you should go back into into the shark city and start like tending to the wounded like be a hero no uh we're just gonna move on i always thought that was i don't think Speaking it was meant of- to come off as callous but uh, yeah it, it did though. You're right. Uh, spe- speaking of Ray's, I, cause I, I watched it again just right before we started this. Uh, Ming comes over and tells Zarkov in his Mingness that there's some piece of equipment. And he says, this is a Ray that counteracts the Ray that holds mm-hmm. the shark yeah. palace underwater. So he's using a Ray to counteract yeah. the very magnetic Ray holding the palace down there. <laughs> counter magneto ray yes uh yeah and then he, he tells him uh he tells him shut off all the other equipment because i guess they, they don't have a lot of power <laughs> turn off all the other rays yeah yes <laughs> we we need to start a running tally of the different rays that are at work in this in this thing because there's a lot of them um and it's really and you don't really see most of it it's just like it's like the all-purpose science answer. It's kind of like they're, they're, the, the, it's the force. You know, I was just going to say that yeah. it's the force of, of this. When when you need an explanation, you just well, we have this ray that does it. <laughs> yeah, thank goodness we invented the ray. You know, mm-hmm. and then they yeah. Is another interesting from a from a filmmaking standpoint. There's an interesting thing that happens here in this scene. Is there's like a bunch of uh, of wipe cuts, a bunch of wipe edits. So it's like you'll see like soldiers exiting Ming's fortress wipe rockets you know they're in the rockets blasting off you know to encounter the the hawkmen or rescue uh princess aura wipe and then uh there's zarkov and 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 then uh prince baron comes in who we'll have to talk about right after this and then another wipe and uh it's you know rockets lifting off and then wipe back to flash and it's like all in like a less than a minute it is it is wipe central it is it is just wipe junction here there's like it's it's there's like even like an eyeball shaped wipe and you know like I actually have a note about that the eye uh, the eyeball shaped wipe it's interesting because I was trying to imagine how did they do that because that was a physical process it's not like it is now where it's you know digitally edited and it just draws it on I, there but how did they I bet they used they a compass physically yeah I think they used a compass they would just like use like a really tiny that way you could just kind of cut it on a on like a perfect arc on both ends and it just kind of grow by increasing the diameter ever so slightly. That's, that's my guess, but I don't exactly know how they did it in these days. So you, it's, that's my best guess, but yeah, it was a physical thing that they had to do to the film and it was still a physical thing. They had to do the film when they did star Wars. And, and um, those are, I mean, should we talk about wipes in, in general really fast here? Sure. Cause this is a, this is a major star Wars trope. And, and now it's, it's got to the point where, Basically, Star Wars is the only place you'll see straight white edits nowadays. Like, it just does not happen anymore. Like, there are some really stealthy ones, like very artful ones that you'll see uh, in movies nowadays. But it's rare to see, like, a straight-up white. And I think that there's a great YouTube video, and I wish I could remember what it was called. But if you just search up, like, you know, wipe cuts or screen wipes or something like that, it's probably one of the first hits on Google. That's I think how I found it. And a guy just like a guy who actually knows about like film criticism and, and took classes and has a degree on like me who just kind of, you know, is going by like just whatever, whatever kind of film history floated past my sphere of consciousness in my, you know, time on earth so far. Uh, he explains that the, the, the reason why the old adventure serials loved wipe cuts is that normally when you edit one scene into another scene, you always have some downtime. So you'll show like two characters, like something happens and it doesn't just edit as soon as the action's over. It doesn't just cut right to another place. That's disorienting. So any film editor will allow, like you'll show people like, you know, some additional things. So it's like, not just, you know, so-and-so and so-and-so getting into a car wreck. It'll, it'll show like for a couple seconds, like, you know, them like kind of stunned from being in the car wreck and then it will cut to something else. Like, I don't know why you would cut, at that most exciting part, but I'm just, you know, it's just, uh, I, this is why I don't make movies. I suck, but, um, <laughs> the, the, but it's a way of doing it. And then when you get to the next scene, you can't just immediately launch into somebody talking because it's again, disorienting. If you see, if you, if you see in the YouTube video, you'll see him, he does this where he'll edit something together, just right. Exactly like that, where it's just a straight cut and it, the action immediately ends cut and immediately starts up in the next scene. And it's 
really hard to follow. So you'll have like a little bit of downtime in the beginning. You'll have somebody like, you know, finishing signing a letter and then they, then they look up and there's a person who enters the room and then they start talking. The well, establishing shot is what that's called. Yeah. The, yeah. Or, yeah. Or you have like, you will like, you know, in star Wars, you'd always, you'd, you'd, there's like, you know, uh, Luke and three PO talking and then cut to an establishing shot, usually an exterior, right. Of the death star or a star destroyer or something, and right. then cut to inside the star destroyer. And that tells you, that's another way of telling you where you are and what's happening. But, but the, um, the reason why adventure serials loved wipe cuts, um, is that you could have that wrapping up action and that starting up action at the same time because you're seeing both. And so it's mm -hmm. like, you're eliminating half of that time because you're seeing it. Both of those things happen at the same time. And it, it just cuts like a couple, like, you know, a second or, 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 or a half a second off of that transition. And when every second counts, like in these adventure serials, that's why you do it. But then you get to Akira Kurosawa's movies, the, the samurai movies, and he uses wipe cuts and his movies are really, really long and he has all the time in the world and he still does it. And I don't know enough about early Japanese cinema to, to have the answers because they don't really, I've been to Japan a few times. I've uh, relatives there, but they don't have like, you can't just go there and like, I'd like some old silent movies. You know, they, right. like, they'll look at you like a lunatic, like who would want to watch that crap? So you'd have to either go to a museum and speak Japanese, which I can't really do. I sound like a preschooler, um, or you, you know, or a library or something, which also I can't do. But, so it's really hard to get this information and I wish I had it, but, um, I think Kurosawa mostly did it because he liked it to, to show the transition of time. So it's kind of like a, he liked it because you could show like, okay, this is the passage of there's like, you know, you know, several hours. And, and that's what he used it for. And then when, when George Lucas did it in star Wars, uh, that is, he does it for both reasons. Like he, he wants to have like, you know, he doesn't want to just waste time showing you Ben and Luke lifting up three PO, which is a really cool wipe. Everybody remembers that once probably the most famous one where as they're lifting up three PO, the screen wipes from bottom to top tracking the movement of three PO. Right. Um, so he wants to show you that, but he also wants to set up the next thing because he, he, especially in the beginning of that movie, it moves kind of slow. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but also he likes to show like the passage of time. And like, you know, when Luke goes off to, I think there's a wipe, but when he goes off to see, goes back to his aunt and uncle's house and there's like, I think there's a wipe and then he's in the land speeder. And that's just to show you that it's taken him some time to go and come back. And so when you come back and you see like this, the, they, the lighting is dim, to, you know, and it, it kind of lets you know that this took him a couple hours, you know, and, this is a great thing that, you know, I, I don't want to do too much inside baseball here, but um, there, there have been a few people listen to the early version of the show who felt like I was a little bit hard on George Lucas and was not my intention, but I'll say one thing. So I'll just some Lucas praise here. I don't think anybody else would have done this, but him because he, he helped edit the film, him and his, his first wife, Marsha Lucas. And who's the other guy, Paul, Paul Hirsch and Richard Chu. That sounds right. Yeah. They, I mean, there was a, they had another editor who, who did a really traditional cut and it looks like, you know, the scenes that we've seen of it look, look like your standard, like, I don't know, like John Wayne kind of movie. Like it's just a very, very traditional, like shot reverse shot type thing. And he got involved with his, with his wife, who was uh, uh, his first wife, Marsha Lucas, who edited taxi driver among other things, uh, uh, New York, New York, um, I can't remember some of the other ones, but she's, she was like, you know, uh, one of the best editors in Hollywood at the time, not in Hollywood in San Francisco, but yeah, it was like, you know, the, their, the film brat culture and, and, uh, she probably thought this stuff was corny. So I really think it was Lucas who insisted on, no, we're going to do wipes. We're going to make it like this. Gonna... And that's, you can't take that out. Like even in rogue one, like you, you just don't want to, it, it, I am kind of glad they decided to differentiate it, but I'm really sad in a way that I feel like it's going away. There are less and less of them as the movies go on. Um, I thought anyway. the same thing. I thought the same thing about Rogue One. I was, I was glad that it was different, but you know, they incorporated at least some of that stuff in the force awakens and to have just completely detached themselves from it. It's like, yes, I know it's not a star Wars saga film, but it's still a star Wars film. And we're wanting it to feel like, 
A yeah. New Hope and lead right into it. So I, th- I think, you know, a few of them would have been cool. I can think of some specific spots where it, you know, it would have been really, really cool. Like, yeah, when they first I show just Bodie people Rook. who wishes more. Yeah, I wish more movies in general did wipes because I think they are. I, I don't think they have to be corny. I think if they're just corny because that's what people decide are. But to me, smash cuts are corny now because they've been overdone. So, you know, yeah, you know, to make of that is uh, make of that what you will. But we should probably get back to something else. I've been talking about film editing, despite having no actual knowledge, working knowledge of film editing, by the way. Um, but I watched that YouTube video, so it <laughs> 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 takes like eight minutes. <laughs> um. But yeah, so anyway, that's, so yeah, so we get introduced to Prince Baron, right? He shows up out of nowhere, by the way, like literally out of nowhere, he just shows up in Zarkov's laboratory and Zarkov's like, who are you? And Prince Baron's like, I'm Prince Baron. I'm the rightful ruler of the planet Mongo. And uh, how can I help you? That kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I thought, probably... that, I thought that was really bizarre. He just kind of strolls in. Doesn't he come in once and then. You don't you don't find out who who he is till the second time. He kind of like wanders back I, in, and I, that's he, but it's he hard did. to tell because he's dressed almost identical to many yeah, soldiers. That's right, true, right? But then it, he's he, just kind of like, "Go ahead, Eric. Sorry." Oh no, no, you go ahead. You go ahead. Oh, sorry, you cut out for a second. So oh, I'm sorry. sorry. Um, but you sound much clearer now. Sorry, cut all this out. <laughs> um, yeah, Pause, I, edit that out exactly. Yeah, you see him in there, and I didn't realize who he was because the way he was dressed. He just looks like a Roman soldier. And then he's just kind of like, yeah, I'm the rightful – I should be the rightful leader because Ming – what did he say? He overthrew my father? Yeah. Killed his just dad. like, well, if that's the case, yeah. That's he, a story. He killed, like... <laughs> killed my dad. and But now I guess Ming just lets him roam around the laboratory. <laughs> all, all I have left is this uh, kick-ass armor and mustache. Yeah. <laughs> It's another character who looks like he should be like, you know, driving a semi truck, not, you know, like he doesn't, he looks and talks like somebody who does not come from another planet. He looks like your neighbor, Dennis. Yeah. I just thought the whole bit about, (laughs) I just thought the bit about uh, how he, he feels like he's the, he should be in charge. And for, for whatever reason, Ming just lets him roam around. I'm like, hasn't Ming watched Godfather too? You're supposed to get to get rid of the kids too. Well, I couldn't yep. figure it out because it looked like he came out and he was hiding in plain view. Yeah. You know, he just stood right. behind this pillar and it, it was obvious that that's to let the viewer know that he's mm-hmm. sneaking up on him. And so I didn't know if he was, you know, living in the shadows and Ming didn't even wasn't even aware of his existence or, you know, his whereabouts. But it I mean, came you think this is awkward. I said it came off a little creepy. The way he was standing. Yeah, it there. did. It's like he was stalking. He's like creeping up on Zarkov. Like I, so, I mean, if if you think this is awkward, like in the comic strip, Zarkov disappears after the initial rocket crash on Mongo, and the next time you see him is when Prince Baron finds him, like at about this point. And so, just like suddenly, there's two characters who just show up out of nowhere. And that's clearly an example of, of the, the cartoonist and writer, Alex Raymond, not really, you know, he was making it up as he went. He didn't really have a plan. Mm-hmm. And so he's got, oh, I need other characters to come find these characters. So, okay, we'll make the doctor come back and then we're going to have this other guy. Because Prince Baron, like for all intents and purposes, is exactly like Prince Thun. Like he doesn't really, at this point in the story, doesn't serve any purpose that Thun doesn't serve thun is kind of like the he's their local guide you know he's like they have, right. they have princess aura but she's not trustworthy then they've got prince thun and he is trustworthy and he knows the territory and so he's kind of the i mean you know it, it's the uh um well do you see this like yeah you see this in uh in star wars a lot actually because you've got ben kenobi you've got um empire strikes back doesn't really have one uh you You've got um, uh, Wicket uh, and Return of the Jedi, and um, I guess to a lesser extent, maybe Ray. Uh, Jar Jar definitely counts. Um, and I guess that's it. I can't think of any of the other anything in the other two prequels. But then again, they don't really go to too many too much new territory in those movies, for the most part. Like it's not really important that they're lost, except I guess in Geonosis, right when they're in the the bug planet. 
it's Geonosis is the termite planet, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. The, the really, the, the, the interiors of that planet look really cool. Um, they don't really have a guide there, but that's why they're like immediately get into trouble. And there's the big silly droid factory thing. And well, um, I think to a certain extent in empire Lando is like their guide through Bespin before they get. Yeah. To, like, yeah. It's true. There's they've got a, a local person explains what's going on and, and what the city is. So, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, I'm not sure what my point was with this, but anyway, you, you need another character, I guess, for Zarkov to get to where he needs to be. What's up, loyal uh, new listeners? Thank you so much for checking out this show. Um, as you know, it's a really new show. I started recording episodes uh, back in, I think, April or May, which is why there's like some kind of older news on some of these episodes. I was going to put it out sooner, but you know, I wasn't really satisfied with the way the show uh, was headed. I felt like it was getting too bogged down in minutia. So anyway, uh, but as you know, I'm, I'm here now and, uh, I'm not giving up. I, uh, I, I try to stick to these things. Once I start them, I've been doing my other podcast for five years now, actually almost six years. If you can believe that I, I can't, uh, one of the things I'd like to do is, as you know, I'm, I'm trying to, once this thing goes up on iTunes, I don't think I even, I put it, I haven't even submitted it yet, to be honest. Um, I'll get around to doing it. But once it goes up there, I'm going to be answering questions via five-star review on uh, iTunes and on Stitcher and on Google Play to make sure I cover all my bases. So, But for right now, of course, I'm not up on iTunes, so I don't have any questions. And uh, I promised in the last episode, in episode three, that some of these uh, Twitter questions that have been going around, uh, I promised I would say some nice things about the prequels. I'm just going to do my favorite moments from uh, the films, which are questions... uh, 17 18 19 I'll try I try I'll try the prequel trilogy uh for this for this show so this is the the Twitter Star Wars 30 questions thing I'm answering in the solitude of my own garage studio so favorite moment from the Phantom Menace and I, I gotta say like there's there's uh there's quite a few things at the Phantom Menace I think in my opinion it's the far and away the most uh well executed of the prequel trilogy so it just overall, I feel like it's it's a better movie than the other two. Uh, I feel at least for for my money, I feel like it's a more normal movie. I guess let's put it that way. I like I like uh, I'm not crazy about the the duel at the end of the movie because I feel like it's so so heavily choreographed that it doesn't look it looks a little bit stiff when there's three people fighting at a time. Um, it just doesn't look right, and it looks like they're trying to hit each other's swords rather than hit the other person, you know, hit their opponent. But once Liam Neeson dies, which by the way, Liam Neeson's performance for the whole death and like, you know, train him and all that stuff. That's really good. He did a great job. And, um, in the, in the character the villain, like Darth Maul, I think was a menacing. And I like the whole, like, you know, prowling, like prowling and watching as he's like waiting for the arbitrary shield thing to open up. That was really cool. But my favorite moment is when he's uh, beaten Obi-Wan almost and Obi-Wan's like hanging from this weird knob thing in this giant pit and uh, and uh, Darth Maul is just like messing with him and he's just like dragging, like swiping the lightsaber, his lightsaber across the edge of the pit just to make sparks fly down. Um, that's really cool. And I also like it because it looks like it's, it's one of the few times in the prequel trilogy where it feels like a character is actually in physical danger. Um, like of a, of a recognizable sort. Like you know what happens if you fall down a pit. Nobody survives from that, right? So it's like he's clearly hanging off a pit, and you know what will happen if he can't make it through. But you realize this about the same time he does that there's another lightsaber up there, and because you know what Jedi can do, you realize what his option is. And like I don't know how he doesn't get chopped down in the air, but he doesn't. And that's kind of cool. It's an interesting way that it builds upon your knowledge of what the Jedi can do, what their powers are. And it's also an interesting example of how this movie really isn't supposed to be watched until after you've seen the original three, because I don't think there's anything in the movie that shows you what they can do with like using the force, to, like call objects to their hands. Uh, maybe there is, but I, I just don't, I know that you see Qui-Gon move the dice uh, or something like that, but I uh, 
it's not, you know, you have to have seen The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi to know that they can do that. Anyway, so that's, that's a great scene. That's probably my favorite moment. Uh, so the next one, I'll say something of a favorite moment from Attack of the Clones. Favorite Attack of the Clones moment. Uh, Ewan McGregor and Boba Fett's dad. What's that guy? Uh, J- uh, Django. Django. Django and, and uh, Obi-Wan when they're fighting in the rain. I thought that was a great homage to the, the, the rainy, muddy fight scene at the end of Seven Samurai. I think it looked really good. I liked how... It, there was like a tactile feel to it. I like that uh, the lightsaber was pretty much not possible. That was not a thing that he could use. So he had to kind of like use his, you know, he was kind of put at a disadvantage in that way. And I liked that uh, he was finally fighting somebody who was actually a, a, a threat to him, a physical. It just doesn't happen very often in those movies unless they're fighting another Jedi. I like how, what I love about that scene though, is I love just watching them slip and fall and like struggle. And uh, I like uh, how, like, you can hear, like, I love the sound effects, the foley work on the on when they're sliding around, screeching on their boots, squealing on the uh, the wet space tarmac. There, I like when they're dangling off the uh, there. I think that there's a cable thing that they're dangling off of at some point. So that was a really cool, really cool fight, um, and a good example of, of pretty good editing too. I think. Um, um, so the Revenge of the Sith. This is going to be the tough one because I hate this movie. It does not, in my opinion, uh, do a a particularly great job of selling Anakin's uh, his betrayal has turned evil um, but you know I'm, I'm, I'm guys' favorite moment okay oh, okay yeah all right so the very beginning right the very very first shot of the movie is the giant space battle and what I like about this shot right up until the point where the the silly like spider droids start latching on and doing like the um, but right up until that point right it's like this great like swooping shot it's like doing something with you know could never be done really very convincingly with models I mean they kind of they kind of did some of the stuff in Return of the Jedi, but not, it wasn't the same. And what I like about the shot is it's one of the few space battles in cinema where you see kind of how things would probably look. Like, it's not like a bunch of battleships lined up in like a in like a row on the horizon, coming at each other basically in a two D plane, right? You know, like a it's a three dimensional battle. So like all the ships are all over the place, and there's stuff happening all over the place. And it's it's a little bit disorienting, a little bit busy. But I, I liked seeing just the you know as of 2005, like the best of the best animators and and digital effects artists and stuff doing this stuff and doing like a great sci fi looking space battle scene. And um, it you know had a lot of stuff going on. Probably way too much. There's there's uh, definitely I don't like the the weird little spider droid things and it's one of the parts that i i do uh, every once in a while i just check it out again just to see that that's you can find clips on youtube and stuff Cause just because i want to see that shot it's it's you know, i'll be honest it's it was exhilarating especially seeing it in the theater um seeing that uh shot it really felt uh it's like wow that's now that's something cool and until next time kids uh i'll be back at he, uh, here to wrap at you in probably probably about a week i'm, I'm kind of doing an accelerated release schedule at the moment and uh yeah so we'll get back to the regular part of the show enjoy And then you've got the Hawkmen coming in. And the Hawkmen are, I mean, what can be said about the Hawkmen? They're, you've got the little uh, miniature men flying around in the sky, which doesn't really look too bad. Um, it's not like an expensive process shot. There's a pointless shot of just they had some extra fighting iguana footage that they show yeah. when, uh, <laughs> when Zarkov and, and uh, Prince Baron, who has his own, his own rocket, they take off and there's just some iguana, more, more iguana cockfights there for, for no reason at all. And uh, just, I guess just to remind you why you maybe don't want to walk to where you're going on Mongo, maybe that's it. That could be. Um, not really important. But um, but it was entertaining. And in the end, isn't that what really mattered? Mm-hmm. Uh, the <laughs> So they so the little hawk, the, the hawkmen are, are circling and then they attack. And as I think you said, Eric, the uh, he Flash tells Prince Thun to take Dale and get out of there. And uh, or Dale and Princess Aura and get out of there. And, uh, and Flash decides to fight the Hawkman by himself. Not a good idea. One of the Hawkmen knocks Prince Thun out with what must be the slowest. Oh yeah. Like knockout blow in film history. It looks like he just, I mean, he doesn't just pull the blow. Like he literally swings it down at like the speed of, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's like, <laughs> 
I don't know. It, it just it looks it looked hilarious. Like were, it looked like they were like magic spears that you just touch to someone and they drop. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like he was like knighting yeah. Prince Thun. Like I declare you, sir, faints a lot. You know, and faints. <laughs> it, um, it reminded me a little bit of the the kick that Mark Hamill does on the um, like the skiff. On the skiff. On, yeah. On, in the, the sail bards fight at the beginning of Return of the Jedi, where he does the kick, and it doesn't take slow motion to see that it, it does not land. Yeah, he's you nowhere know? near. He's like a couple inches apart. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of the, that's one of those things that I think you only notice like the 10th the time or more that you watch it, I think. I don't know whether I ever noticed as a kid. I bet I guess I wouldn't um, have noticed at that age, but... Maybe this is another one of those things. It's like a, a kid watching this would not probably care, but it does look really silly. And it's just an example of something that if they had time in a budget to do that shot again, they probably would have done it again, but they didn't. So <laughs> that's what it is. And, and, uh, live they, with it. They and needed then, uh, someone to tell them that they needed to do that scene over faster and more intense. Yeah. I mean, they, I mean, yeah, somebody should, that should have been faster and more intense. Damn it. That was, that was slow and the opposite of intense like lethargic, I guess. Um, and then we get, they get taken up to, they get, I guess the Hawkmen just carry them and then fly away right up to the, the city of the Hawkmen, which is kept aloft by gravity rays Another and is ray. protected by melting rays. Yes. And, uh, and there, <laughs> and, uh, and then we're into that. We hear uh, a brief introduction to, uh, uh, is he, I can't remember. I think in the he's he's sometimes alternately called Prince Fulton and King Volton, but I think in the serial he's mostly called King Volton, who is I don't know what he is. He's like a big fat party animal from Mount Olympus. I, I don't know how else to describe him. Like he's That's, that sounds about right. He's kind of like part Greek god, part like I don't know what. Just like like Dom DeLuise. I, I how do you describe him? He's constantly cackling he's like john, a madman he's john belushi man that's he he had that whole that whole vibe this the very yeah john yeah. belushi in, in animal house just john? like this weird cipher that like <laughs> creates chaos and everybody just sort of gets out of his way john belushi in animal house but with a pet bear yes he has a painted bear but we'll get to that we'll get to that so uh when um when they get to uh king volton he says, take the, the men and send them down to the atom furnace. <laughs> the atom furnace is literally just a pile of slag or something when they shovel it into a furnace. I guess that's just raw atoms in a pile. <laughs> what is that stuff? Do you guys remember that uh, Simpsons uh, uh, is a very old Simpsons episode where Mr. Burns is like remembering back when he was a, like a kid in his father's nuclear plant, in like the 1910s. And it's like, they're literally shoveling, like smashing a atoms with oh, hammers oh. on anvils to create electricity. <laughs> um, I think this would later, do you guys, you guys uh, here's a slightly, slightly more recent uh, reference, maybe like three years later, a kids in the hall sketch where it's like the two guys, like just shoveling for no reason in the, uh, and they're like, like questioning him. Like, why are they toiling endlessly? And I don't know, that one's kind of hard to explain, but it's really funny, but I think that's a direct takeoff of the scene. It's just the two people toiling in like a sci-fi hellscape, just shoveling nonsense into a like debris into a giant furnace. Um, so that's the Adam furnace, which I love. And then we, 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 uh, uh, King Volton sees Dale Arden and, uh, is, I think overcome with lust, but I'm not really sure because he just keeps giggling. I'm just gonna have to edit in just sounds of his laughter. And just imagine somebody like laughing, like a big fat guy with, with, uh, like styrofoam. Well, they wouldn't be styrofoam at this point. They probably, they're probably made of wood or paper mache wings. And you can actually see, could you guys, did you guys spot like the little straps that had the, that were keeping the wings on? Well, and that <laughs> you can was... just barely see him underneath his, like, uh, his breastplate is like, has like, you know, nice sculpted man boobs for him. Yeah. I saw it, that. It, <laughs> yeah. It's, it is incredible. That was actually one the of my guy questions. Is hysterical looking. Yeah, are, are you know are they supposed to be body parts or are they, you know, uh, mechanical? What's the deal with them? That is a good question. I don't know. I don't know whether it's at least it's not addressed in this episode. 
I don't think so. no, I think they are. I think they are supposed to be body parts. But again, like there's weird stuff going on. Somehow uh King Volton has a cape on, which shouldn't be possible if you have wings sprouting out of your back, even if they're fake. Um, but he does. So I'm not I'm not really because it's it flows out from like from either side of him. So it's like, is it draped is there are there like slits cut in the cape to like go over the wings? I, I don't know. Uh, there's some questions maybe I just don't want answered, uh, but the, he, he's just like a, a, a giggling madman. He's like, all right, go <laughs> leave us, close the door. And you, and you think it's going to get, you know, you think, you, you think, you know where this is going. Right. Right. Cause it's like, it's the King is alone with the, with the woman who's scared and he's like laughing hysterically. And then what he does is he. I think he presses a button, opens a, uh, like a hidden door in the wall, and out comes a painted bear. Just a bear, like a live bear with stripes painted on him to look kind of like a gigantic badger, I think. Right. Um, I think he calls him Urso or Orso. Mm-hmm. Urso. Which makes sense. I mean, Urso or Orso would be bear in Latin, I think. Um, but uh, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> but then the, the bear comes out kind of walks around dale freaks out and the bear goes away <laughs> that's it i just I, I who first of all somebody's job was to paint that bear which yeah. <laughs> hats off to you my friend whoever you were um i hope you survived but uh the the other thing is like why even have the bear come out at all like what purpose it I I don't know. I, I really want to know what you guys thought of this because this was this is baffling and hilarious to me. Well, it it seemed a little insane just all the way around. And what I was saying before is the the way they cut the shot. You've got the the Birdman. He he's saying something, and then it cuts to Dale, and then it cuts to the bear getting ready to come out. So the the door slides open. And the, the camera is on the bear's face as he walks out. And then the, the Hawkman's voice, he says something and it sounds so different compared to how his voice sounded just seconds before that I thought, is, is that supposed to be that bear talking? <laughs> is that, <laughs> that's, 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 that's what it seemed like. I'm like, why is that bear talking? And, and then I realized, very okay. Very primitive ADR, I think. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so that's not what they're trying to do. But the bear just walks out, and he and what did he say? Um, oh, uh, <laughs> he, oh, if you don't like him, then maybe you'll like this. He had that weird line too. I, I, I forgot to say it. Is when yeah. she wakes up and she's like, "Flash, flash," and he says, "She calls for a flash. We'll have to provide a flash for her if that's what she wants." <laughs> you know, and then and then wow. the, yeah. the bear comes out. You know, well then he says something equally weird about the bear. Well, if yeah. she doesn't what like me, say? maybe she'll like you. And then I maybe want, she'll like you, skunk bear. Yeah, and I did notice. <laughs> did you notice that when the bear was walking back into its uh, cage or whatever that room is, he smacks it pretty oh, hard. Oh no! He, yeah, he smacks oh, no, it. On I didn't the notice that. He says, "Get in there, my pet." Oh yeah, that, yeah. oh he does. You're right. What I would look that bear just got painted. I would not, I would not smack a painted bear because that bear is probably ornery and ready to, you know, <laughs> ornery, sorry, and ready to, ready to whatever bears do when you paint them. I don't know. I think skunk bear is the ideal term here because that's kind of what it looks like. I mean, it does look like a giant badger, but just the stripes remind me of a skunk in a way. Like what you think that, okay, you think that he's going to creep out on Dale, but what I think is really going on here is that he's like a kindergartner or something who like has his kid sister trapped in his bedroom. And he's like, check out this rubber spider. Yeah. You know, th that's all he seems to want to do. <laughs> like, it's really amusing to him. That's how he laughs. That's how he acts. Look at this oh. fake vomit. You don't like that? Yeah, uh, it's, it is, it is otherworldly in a way that this, series probably wasn't aiming for uh, i find it very very weird you gotta wonder do they just have a bear on set that day like why did they do this somebody had to create that trap door and everything it's like i don't know they painted a damn bear what can you say 
And that's pretty much where the where where it ends. Like I think you get maybe another shot of uh, Flash and the like shoveling atoms into the atom furnace, and it's done. Well, they do show the um, oh the melting ray, yeah, the the, the yeah the the ship and uh, the melting ray, and then whenever it actually finally gets hit, it just drops like a ton of bricks. But an inter- yeah, yep, yeah. What one of the things that they said about the ship is the do you guys remember what the force that was keeping the melting oh, ray yeah. away it was the resisto yeah. force the resisto force yeah do you guys this to my knowledge i'm sure it's not i'm never i i'm, I'm not gonna say it's the earliest example of a force field because i'm sure there's some like you know you know doc smith story from like astonishing crap magazine in 1925 that has something like this that predates it but but this is like the earliest force field I can think of in science fiction, I, a resisto yeah, force. Yeah. Contrary to popular belief, I wasn't alive during that time. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, a, I'm not a total expert on the, on the time period, but yeah, you just shush, you shush it right now. The, uh, but, but yeah, I don't think that there'd ever been any other mention that I had seen. I don't think there's any other mention in the show. And I just don't recall hearing about this concept earlier although like i I read a lot of hg wells books as a kid and stuff like that and i don't you know they might be in there and i just forgot it but it's interesting because by the time you get to star wars they're talking about deflector shields and magnetic fields and stuff like that and they're getting really specific and like one of the interesting things is that there's a line in there like you know where han says uh, you know angle the deflector shields or something like that like you know full rear deflector shields like to to divert power to whatever because they're in front of the people who are shooting at them. And like, when you get, it doesn't make any sense when you think of, when you watch the movie by itself, but I mean, it doesn't, it it makes sense, but it doesn't, it's hard to visualize what they're talking about because it's an invisible shield. It wasn't until, um, well, I guess, no, I guess in Phantom Menace, they probably, they have a shield that's, you can see, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. So that, so it took a while for them to do that, but, do you guys remember the old uh, like X-wing and Tie Fighter DOS games? Yes. Okay. It's, I think it's so, all right. Yeah. <laughs> did you play them at all? It's okay if you didn't. I just. Oh, I did. Yeah. Do you remember how you would do that, where you would angle the or you would divert power to the shields from lasers? Like there was a button you'd press that would like deplete laser regeneration power, and it would go into your shields, and they would replenish faster. And you could also. Uh, switch shields like you could like have double shields in the back and, and nothing Not in the front, in front right or, or vice versa and it was based on that dialogue as far as i can tell which is just throwaway dialogue that lucas wrote without any like to my knowledge i don't know of any sophisticated force field like that existing in sci-fi prior to it and that's just something i think he might have come up with um which is interesting because it's a very sophisticated idea that makes sense when you think about it but doesn't really you know like it's hard to picture it because you can't see it um that seemed more interesting when i was thinking about it than when i was talking about it but uh what is so ming is also coming at this point right um where was he's going there or he just sent his people because i i thought they said he might just be sending his people yeah yeah because doesn't uh, or say like we need to get there before Ming's people do, or something like that. Somehow she knew they were on the way too. Yeah. Well, Aura knows that I think Ming is coming, or okay. I don't know. It's it's hard to keep track of who knows what and why yeah. in the show. <laughs> um, it just kind of happens, and you just sort of roll with it. But yeah, so it, it's kind of. I think at this point, Ming is mostly just trying to get his daughter back. Or I honestly don't know. He's just kind of there, so you don't forget that he's there. I guess. Maybe maybe when we hit chapter six, we'll be reminded of what his purpose is. But, um, how have you guys been? Uh, particularly, does Ming have any plan at work here that you can tell? Like, not, is... <laughs> not that I can tell. Now, that's actually a note that I had put in the previous episode notes was. Uh, what's what exactly is he trying to do? He mentions that total domination is his goal, but as far as how he plans to get there, you know, who knows? And 
one thing I'm I'm curious about is all of these these segments of people, the shark men, the hawk men, they're all enemies. But why isn't the planet just in complete war torn chaos all the time? I don't yeah. That's it's it is it is it is weird because there I guess the way you'd look at it is that on Mongo, like the different societies or cultures or people, the different blank men, you know, or whatever, right. are all like kind of like different planets in Star Wars. Where That's what like, I was thinking too. We've seen the the underwater city and the sky city, and uh, yeah. uh, can't we see what we have next? There's the lion men, right? Um, the shark men, the hawk men, and uh, it. My understanding is, is following the serial, Ming has has more or less either dominated the, the shark men. They're they're pretty much subservient to him directly. His relationship with the Hawkmen seems to be that he's like the senior partner in an alliance, sort mm-hmm. of. Mm-hmm. But they don't seem to like they seem to kind of just do whatever they want. It doesn't they're not coordinating plans or anything. And um and later on, like they'll they the there'll be a falling out between King Volton and Ming. And then the lion men seem to be the only people who are in open war with Ming. And, uh, we don't really know where they come from or what their problem is, but they're, they're out there. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know how, what constitutes like domination of Mongo and how you jump from dominating one planet to conquering the universe. But that's Ming's plan. And this, this is interesting because I think um, just as we talked about Rebels last episode, I haven't seen this one, but Rebels did just wrap up its, what, third season? Mm-hmm. And that was the end of Grand Admiral Thrawn's uh, turn as the as the villain of the of the year, I guess. Well, I don't know. Uh, um... What do you guys think of that? How did how did Thrawn's plan go down? Because my underst- what I've heard from mostly other podcasts is that he hasn't really done anything that ingenious yet. So I'm curious, does that change this time? Um, I don't, well, I don't know if he's done as the the villain. I, I think that they've maybe set it up so that he was kind of, um, you know, cause he wasn't in every episode. He kind of came in and out of the show this year. And I'm hoping that means they were just setting him up to get to know him so that he's the, the main villain for next year. Cause they, they did alternate back and forth between Thrawn storylines and Maul storylines. Now that's wrapped up. So, um, I felt like the uh the big final battle in this it it did show how a lot of the episodes have led up to this and it did kind of remind me of things that i saw from thrawn in the um the old books and um the thing the re but man the the problem with bringing a character like thrawn into rebels is because he's supposed to be such a genius he's supposed to win (laughs) you know what i mean and when you bring him into rebels you know the heroes are going to win at the end so um it's tough to really see him be the character that we, we knew him as in, in the old EU. But I guess some of the things that did work is that part of why his plan didn't work in this episode was one of his own men didn't follow orders. So he wasn't expecting that. I guess if, if everyone had done what they were supposed to do, maybe it would have had a different outcome. Um, but one of the other admirals uh, decided to do his own thing and it screwed with the plan. Um, and then the um, Mandalorians show up and that was unexpected too. I guess he didn't see that coming, but if they're going to really keep him true to the character, then if they do bring him back for season four, he needs a big victory or I don't really believe this as Thrawn. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, Thrawn's I just, Eric, Eric, do you have any thoughts on this? It's tough for me, man. You know, they really built Thrawn up and he, he almost didn't have a chance to succeed. And the reason I say that this came up, what do you think? What do you think about this book? you know, that's getting ready to come out. I bet it'll be really cool to read. Yeah. But we know, unless you're just willing to somehow retcon the whole thing of why he was never mentioned going forward, you know, because he wasn't mentioned in the original trilogy whatsoever or rogue one for that matter, you know, he can't accomplish much Mm -hmm. between now and when rogue one would come along. Does he, how do they explain that? What can they meaningfully do with him at this point? Does, does that make sense? What I'm think, saying? Yeah, it does. Like, I think the only thing they can do story-wise that will keep him around and have him able to come back later. And 
if this were me making the plans and it's not of course but if it were uh what i would do is i would have him get uh like banished or something. not banished but like he loses big to a bunch of kids and like but he's too important to kill so they ship him off to like you know some like backwater part of space and he's given some some menial task there and what he does is he of course being uh you know like a super brain guy he he builds up like his own like like para empire like that's kind of it's the empire but it's like not really answering to anybody because they're so far removed from you know they're not even fighting in the rebellion so they and then and then that's like and he starts working on his own super weapons which explain like where star killer base came from so quickly is that somebody was working on it much earlier and uh and other stuff like there's like weird star destroyers out there that were built rather quickly and uh and and stuff like that but they're they're like like star destroyers but they're a little bit different and maybe that's what he was up to is he was like like creating a a contingency plan within the empire and that's like he you know and that's that's what he was doing i would and, and you can make a whole show out of that like how does he conquer what, what what's that part of the galaxy supposed to be called it's not really addressed in force awakens but i think the like ancillary materials talk about the um like the forbidden zone or something or the uh, it's uh, like the un- unknown reaches or something like that I, yeah, I, yeah 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 that's it and i although i don't understand how there could be a part of the galaxy that you couldn't get to because hyperspace can apparently take you anywhere in less than a minute but um the, well, they've talked uh, about they've talked about you have to you have to uh, establish hyperspace lanes and so some areas yeah. just haven't been explored yet and that that was kind of why the uh, the whole bit about luke's missing piece of the map would make any sense because sure you could just go there but you, you if you don't know where the hyperspace lanes are you can't you'd have to travel at regular speed also yeah i mean also like just the idea of like imagine like we star wars makes the galaxy seem really small but a galaxy would be so huge right that even if you saw like a map with 500 star systems on it. If they were labeled in a dead language or something that you couldn't recognize, then you would have no clue. You couldn't even, you couldn't like, you couldn't even match it up with like constellations from any, like what, from what reference point, you yeah. know, <laughs> it's like you, it's not like earth where all the constellations are seen from earth. And that's why they look the way they do. If you look from another planet, they'll look different. And yeah, I mean, what I would, I, I the other thing I thought of is like, I, I'd imagine like if there's like some massive spatial disturbance, like some nebula that, um, like would you could like pass through it but you couldn't pass back because it would like you know bombard you with like you know space cancer or something rays or something and and that's death, like you could banish somebody there but they can't come back mm-hmm. and so they and they can't communicate and it's like they're they're given a mission do this and this is the one guy that like he he screwed up but you know what he's he knows what he's doing and if we send him out here i bet he'll accomplish something and then when the disturbance abates or hyperspace technology advances to the point where you can get through then suddenly we'll have like this big like you know a foothold in, in the region and, and and you could do a whole you could do a whole cartoon about that a whole tv show about like the unknown regions fights back against this weird invader and like how interesting it would be to see like a different society or a whole different culture meet the empire for the first time and it's like not the empire as we know it, but like a weakened, like a small mm-hmm. force that has has to kind of survive by its wits. I don't know. I think you could do a lot with that. I, I hope that's what they do. Anyway, we've gone on for a little while. That's okay, man. Yeah, that's fine. Oh, one more thing though about rays, right? I just thought about this. There is one weird ray that is not really explained very well in Star Wars uh, that is really important to a couple scenes and that's uh ion ion blasts so they've got an ion cannon empire strikes back that disables star destroyers which is another thing that doesn't really they kind of visualize it a little bit but it's hard to understand like what did they just do did they kill everybody on board like what does it mean to disable a whole ship and uh and then they do it again with ion bombs in rogue one which mm-hmm. i thought was interesting and I, i'm glad they used they said ion bombs because that explains why every ship doesn't have an ion cannon on it it's like you either have to have a gigantic thing built into a mountain or you can, you know, drop bombs with, with the same capability, but you can't just use it all the time. I thought that was pretty like clever of them to, to bring that back. And I think with the, the technology they had to like visualize that effect, it looked a lot more, I think it made it clearer what was happening. And you even got a shot of like people on the star story, like all engines are dead and like, you know, we're on auxiliary power and, um, that's an that's an interesting thing. I think Rogue One kind of fixed that. Uh, 
uh, yeah it made a lot more sense after i had seen that of how you can disable a star destroyer and what but it's really important because how could the how could the rebels survive like they their bases get uh, found out and overrun in like a matter of months apparently Mm -hmm. so (laughs) they're constantly setting up new bases they're constantly escaping and they must have some secret weapon because the empire doesn't have this technology is that is that must be a story in rebels right somebody's done a story about that in rebels um i think one of the episodes was the rebels crew stealing those ion bombs possibly from, stealing from the empire from the empire yeah i think eric so, does that sound right was that the, the wind coffee job it it does sound to me but I, but I can't remember if that's yeah but yeah you're right because that was some sort of imperial ship that was disabled because of its proximity to some sort of cosmic event right and the the question was, well, why would they walk away from this if it's so valuable? You know, because there's danger involved, and it's like they have tons of this crap. For them, it's it's the danger is not worth it, but for us, mm-hmm. we you know oh, it is yeah. worth it because we don't have all of this at our disposal. So yeah, they do say something to this to the fact that this is real common. That's pretty good. I think I'm not 100 percent sure, but I think Ion weapons or ion the effects of ion something or other goes back to like the uh the um brian daly's han solo novels from like 1979 1980 uh, i think that's where like it it shows like the the millennium falcon goes through an ion storm or mentions going through an ion storm of some kind or an ion cloud and it 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 you know cuts like cuts most of the ship's functions puts them most most of them offline or something like that maybe i'm misremembering that but a lot of a lot of this some of this stuff which which predates you know or or is is concurrent with the writing of empire strikes back is like you can find some of that stuff mm-hmm. in those very very early eu books because those were all like real sci-fi authors you know who did other stuff and they might have brought stuff in from like 70 sci-fi that you and i wouldn't know about anyway i guess that's it let's uh let's uh, it's time to wrap it up thanks everybody um and thank you again to our uh special crew of uh focus group listeners um we really appreciate you guys feedback please let us know what you think and without uh any further delay uh we'll wrap it up and star wars is back back, 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 i need to come up with a new closing thing to say (laughs) uh that's because that's that's a it now this is podcasting thing right like i can't really do that i have to say something else (laughs) until next time check out this bear bear, 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 bear